given us a light. You've given us a lamp into our feet. So we turn to you this morning and ask for that thing which is so mysterious to us, whereby your spirit, you take your word and apply it to our hearts. Father, if we have built up any resistance to this at all, we ask that you would please melt that away. You please give us strength going forward that we might understand with great clarity all that is before us and prepare us for the battle ahead. We thank you for this. In Christ's precious name, all God's people said, Amen. Battle plan. So this whole time we've been talking about this is what these people look like. This is what the people that are sneaking inside the church and spreading heresy, uh, this is what they look like. And we know that they've been doing it for a long, long time. And their plan is not to stop. This is going to continue going on until Christ returns. So we need to be ready to counteract this. We need to be ready to stand and fight in the battle. God calls us to fight. The book of Jude is about war. It's about teaching us how to fight. So first Jude goes through and he tells us who the enemy is. This is what these people look like. This is what you have to look out for. This is what this type of thinking looks like. The type of thinking where you go with instincts instead of with reason and instead of um, leaning back on that authority that God gives us. Because we know, as we've been taught through this small book, that when we abandon authority, we have no basis for reason. And then we operate only on instincts alone. So it's at that point that we go with what feels good. Listen in conversations today as you're speaking with people. They will answer with the I feel messages. Well, I just, I feel like this is what I should do. Well, I feel like the Spirit is leading me to do this. I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. Or uh, you talk about certain biblical passages. Well, I feel like the culture has walked away from that and uh, we need to kind of get off the gas on that a little bit and, and step back and, and look at this thing. So today, we are looking more directly at what are we supposed to do. So I spent all this time pointing out the problem, and now we're going to be looking toward the solution. And here it is. You'll follow along in this passage, but you must remember, beloved, this is starting at verse 17, going to verse 21, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This is God's Word. We're going to talk this morning about three truths. Three truths that we need to understand going forward to help us in this battle. And they are these. Number one, don't let your guard down. Don't let your guard down. Number two, how to prepare for the fight. You see, we have to be ready to actually go and do battle. And uh, that's what we're doing this morning. We are preparing for the fight, and this passage tells us exactly how to do that. And point number three, fight with your eye on the victory. Fight with your eye on the victory. So point number one, don't let your guard down. We cannot, we cannot, 
We cannot. So, here's the war. You're engaged in it, whether or not you want to be, whether or not you know you are. There are two types of people uh, in this war on this side. There are those that are fighting, and there are those that are standing by and watching everyone else fight. Those are not the type of soldiers that you want on the battlefield with you, and it's not the type of soldier that anyone in here wants to be. We want to be coming alongside one another. We want to be able to support and love one another in the battle. So we cannot let our guard down. This is what the passage says. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop right there for just a moment. So this is war. It's a battle. That's exactly what you're doing every day when you get up and you wake up and you get dressed. The moment your eyes are awake, you're at war. Satan wants you. He wants you on his side. He can't conquer Christ. Amen? He can't conquer Christ. Amen? Amen. Christ has won. The victory is his. The victory is ours in Christ. But he wants you. And he's coming for you. And you don't have to take my word for it. You let your guard down for a few minutes, and you will quickly find out how quickly he wants to draw your attention from this battle. He wants the church to sit on the sidelines. And I will be so bold as to say he's done a good job putting us there. Because a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines. Sitting by, waiting, watching the brave and valiant that are stepping out onto the battlefield. They're drawing up arms. We're watching. Maybe we're even rooting for them from the corner. We need to be actively engaged in this battle. So we cannot grow complacent. We cannot grow complacent. Everyone notice here there's a must. Everyone see the must? There's a must. That's something that we have to do. So in order to resist complacency, we must remember the predictions of the apostles. Problem being, we forget. We forget what to look for. We forget who the enemy is. Sometimes we're even fighting each other. Why do we forget? Well, because the predictions of the apostles are tucked away in the pages of this book, which is often tucked away in some safe place until Sunday morning. So then Sunday morning we pull it out and we take our sword to church with us, where we worship Christ, where we prepare for the battle, then we go home and we put it back on the shelf again. There's a problem with that. Uh, some people's Bible doesn't even make it that far. Some people's Bible goes on the back ledge in their car and then gets sun faded and bleached. And you can't hide that, FYI. Uh, you can see that really, really clearly. So we don't read our Bibles. And we don't read our Bibles, we grow complacent. How are you and I going to know what the apostles said and who they told us to look out for if we're not reading about it? I guarantee you, if your Bible is open on your desk because you were studying and you were highlighting and you forgot it and you come to church next week, you will not get a hard time from this guy. We have lots of Bibles here. But we need to be reading them. If you aren't spending time in God's Word, God's Word cannot be in you. I hope that makes sense to everyone. I have yet to see a person with sunburn who has not left their house. You cannot get a sunburn unless you go out underneath the, say it everybody, the sun. You cannot have God's word in you if you are not in God's word. Some people say it's hard to read the Bible. 
And I know. I know. Believe me. Sometimes it is hard. There's a million things that want to distract you and pull you away from reading your Bible. And I desperately want to help with that. So this morning, I just want to take a couple minutes in preparation and give you a couple pastoral suggestions. Some of them I've made in the past. I ask you please take these to heart because they're important. I want to help everyone in this battle to prepare for it in the best way possible. So this is for the people that say that it's difficult to read God's word. And I'm with you. I understand that. I am with you. So first thing on my list, again, I'm not pulling this from the pages of scripture. You have to read a translation that you can understand. So if you have a translation, A, that's written in a different language, um, you need to do something about that. See me and I will help you get one in your language. B, if it's written in a time that you do not live in and you have a difficult time understanding that, I would like to help you overcome that too. This is not at all to denigrate the King James Version of the Bible, which I do like. This is saying that that's the most prevalent translation out there and most people say they cannot read their Bible because they cannot understand it because they're trying to read something that was written a long time ago for a language long ago. And actually, the King James Version of the Bible was only written to people with a ninth grade education level. So the fact that we have a difficult time reading it should simply show us that we live in a different time. So I'm not saying toss out your King James. I'm saying... If you have a hard time reading it, don't throw it away, keep it. But grab another translation, too, that you can read alongside that. Point number two from this guy, read a literal translation. I am an anti, anti anti-dynamic equivalence guy. I always will be. Um, And I'm not going to get into that and and rip apart um, all the theory behind that. I don't like it. I don't. Um, I like a literal translation of the Bible. What am I talking about when I say a literal translation of the Bible? Well, I'm not saying that your NIV is um, not the Word of God. It is. I'm not saying that the, living trans- the New Living Translation is not the Word of God. It is. I'm not saying that. They're accepted translations. I'm saying this is what I prefer. I prefer to get the closest to the real language in front of me. So, I'm talking about Bibles like the RSV, Revised Standard Version, the, NS- the NASB. That's New American Standard Bible which is actually a great Bible. The New King James Version is an excellent, excellent translation of the Bible. If you love the King James Version, but you struggle with it sometimes, get a New King James. It's a great Bible. And as everyone knows here, I am an ESV legalist um, to some degree. I like it. I like it because um, I, I preach from it because it's easy for me to read out loud from, which everyone should be thankful for, because I'm not continually stumbling over my tongue, although sometimes that does happen. And I also preach from it because of um, the fact that it was written in the legacy of the King James. Meaning, there are a bunch of things behind that. I'm I'm not going to get into all of it. But it seeks the same rhythm for reading aloud as the King James did. When the King James was translated, it was supposed to be lyrically beautiful, and it still is. As a matter of fact, I guarantee most people in here have memorized most of the verses they have memorized from the King James Version, it's easy. It's easy. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, I don't know if ESV is superior to any other translations. I'm not going to say that. I don't think that that's true. Uh, There are some features in here that I appreciate. But read a literal translation. Third is... uh, Read it every single day. Every day. Read it every day. 
So everyone's like, oh, well, that's kind of hard. I'm not going to get on one of those reading plans because I'll end up reading the whole Bible throughout a year. That's a lot of work. I guarantee you that's a lot of work. And I'm not going to tell anyone that they have to read the entire Bible every year. But you should read a verse a day. Even if you grab a daily bread and you're reading a verse a day, you're getting God's word into you. You're getting God's word into you. Just a small passage a day. Look into it. Look in your concordance. There's something you're struggling with. You're like, boy, I, I, the pain of suffering is too much. Look up suffering in your concordance. Read just a small passage on this. It will bless you. I guarantee it. If you want to send me an email, call me, see me in person, and say, I've been reading God's word every day and I have not been blessed, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. I'd love to. It will happen. Read it. Fourth, and again, this is something that I find helpful, and these are not, listen, I'm, I'm not giving you a passage and verse here, all right? These are things that I'm trying to get everyone to read their Bible more. Everyone, not just people in this church, people that are listening all over the place. Buy a scripture journal. This is a really, really important little tool. Some people have theirs from the book of James. It looks like this. This little tool you can pop in your purse, you can pop in your lunch pail, you can even fold it in half and stick it into your pocket. It is a trade paperback, stapled together in the center though, and it is really, really tough. It has all of the verses on one side and lines on the other. You don't understand something? Write it down. Again, this is just a, a suggestion to get everyone to read just a little bit more. Another suggestion is if you don't know where to start, like, I don't even know where to start. Read the passage for our next sermon. The whole next sermon series is already all thought out, planned out, already ready to go. All the outlines are done for most of the sermons already. It's all set to go. I'm, I'm way ahead of the game always. Should some event happen tomorrow and, uh, and I, I'm not able to prepare ahead of time, next sermon series is already ready. If you want to know, hey, what, what's going to be the verses that we're going to be studying by week by week, then let me know and I'll get that for you. It's usually two or three verses. You can just read that throughout the day. Again, it doesn't have to be your only reading, but it could serve as a launch pad for your daily study. And lastly, I've suggested this before, and I know some people have um, taken part in this. The Bible is app on your cell phone is a wonderful, wonderful tool. If you don't have it, I would suggest highly that you download it, A, and you use it, B. And if you don't love it after a week... Then, then just get rid of it. This is such a dynamic tool. So you pop open your app on your cell phone, the Bible is app. You pick the version of the Bible that you want to look at. You like the King James. There's audio King James on there. There's audio new King James. Um, there is a uh, fully dramatized ESV. I guarantee you. Pop open the fully dramatized version of the ESV and turn off all the lights and listen to Mark 4 in the dark. And you hear Satan saying, If you are the Son of God. And there's all this eerie music in the background. Scary! It's like a horror movie from your Bible. But it keeps you interested. And that's what we need to do. We need to be involved in studying our scripture. And this is a good way to do it. You can listen to the Bible as you cook, as you drive, or some people even listen to it as they're sleeping. You know, many at times my kids are scattered on my floor when it's hot and we're warmed around the air conditioner and uh, we have the ESV on um, listening to the audio Bible as everyone's going to sleep. Obviously, we don't put on Mark 4. I don't suggest that for anybody putting their kids to sleep. Um, but it really, really is a helpful tool. So why all these suggestions? 
Why did I just take up 10 minutes of the sermon just talking about ways to suggest reading your Bible more? Because we are called to remember. You must remember. So if we must remember, we must be exposed to the Scriptures. Amen? We must be, and it must be regular. It has to be regularly so we can remember. If it's not in there, you have nothing to draw from. If the filing cabinet's empty, you have no help at all. So all of these are just simple tips to try to help everyone be involved in their Bible even a little bit more. And even people that read their Bible every single day, some of those are even looking for new ways to get into their, into their Bible a little more. So I pray that this is helpful pastoral advice for anyone. So what exactly do we want to do here? What, what are we looking for when we're reading through these passages? What do we want to, to get out of uh, what's before us, what's in front of us? Well, we need to remember the predictions that were made. Remember what? Remember that this is real. We need to remember that what we're talking about this morning, this is a reality for us. And it's a reality for us that even either we're awake to and we're realizing and recognizing, or it's a reality for us that we're ignoring. You can ignore a tumor for a long time until it turns out to be something you cannot ignore anymore. You can ignore a fire in your kitchen for only so long until you can't ignore it anymore. We can't ignore what's before us. And this is why. Because it's subtle. Because it's subtle. Because these people that want to corrupt you, it's not like they're going to come out and say, I think you ought to stop going to that church, start coming to this church where we worship Satan. You're not going to get a whole lot of that. And I guarantee the people that I know of this church, that happens, you're not going anywhere. But it's the subtle things. The subtle, well, the rest of culture is already going this way. How are we going to minister to them if we don't fold in just this little area? If we don't start accepting this, how is it that we can be ministers of God's gospel? So we toss the gospel aside and we say, yeah, we'll, we'll compromise on that just a little bit so we can get more people. These people are scoffers. They, this title means they are those that make a mockery of the Christian faith by bringing in a contradictory teaching. Grace without responsibility. This is the most prominent teaching in the church today, and it, it breaks my heart. You receive grace. You don't have to do anything anymore. Wrong. Wrong. Christ wants fruit in our lives. In order to have that fruit in our lives, he tells us we must abide in the vine. He says those that keep his commandments are his children. We do not become his children. We do not become God's children by keeping the commandments. But we keep the commandments because we are God's children. Grace without responsibility. Mercy without accountability. He's shown you mercy. You can take part in this. You can do this. It doesn't really matter anymore. And lastly, and a very prominent teaching, is to do these works to receive some sort of blessing or salvation from God. Well, if you put enough in the collection plate, God's going to take care of all your financial problems. If that, proved, if that was proven true just once, don't you think everybody would be like dumping everything in there? 
fun. It's never been true. It won't be true. Our giving tithe to God is to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's so that we can give back to him a portion of what he's given to us. And it's off the top. God's not going to dump a bunch of money in your bank account because you tithed extra. I don't know where this comes from. These people are following their passions and not Christ. So their guide is their passion. So these are people that, well, I just go with my gut. Well, good for you. If I went with my gut, I would eat everything in sight. Go with your gut. Go with how it feels. They rely primarily on feelings. How many marriages have been destroyed? Families have been ripped apart because of someone acting on their feelings. How many businesses have crumbled? Employees been tossed out because of employers going with the gut, acting on their feelings. How much money has been lost and never recovered because of people going with their feelings? How many lies have been told, hearts have been broken? The list could go on. I guarantee I'm not going to. If I asked for a show of hands this morning, how many people have been affected by this, every single hand would be up. These people that we're discussing this morning, they're worldly, and they do not have the Spirit of Christ dwelling within them. It says, devoid of the Spirit. God's Spirit does not dwell in these people. Does not. The things that they teach do not bring unity, but division. The Scriptures speak of these people frequently. And you and I have to be aware of the fact that they exist. They're out there. And they come into churches every single week. And you won't even know who they are because it's, it's, the, it's the guy with the great sense of humor. He just sits down and he's boisterous and he laughs. And he's easy to get along with and you like him. It's the gal that's willing to serve and do all these things. And, and, and she just wants to pour into other people. But the things she's been given to pour into other people are not good things. Is this supposed to make us skeptic of every single person that walks in the door? No. It's supposed to draw us closer to every person that walks in the door so that we can love them in a way that is authentic. And if they are led astray, we can guide them back, which we'll talk more about next week. So we need to be aware that they exist and that they're active in spreading their message. We need to listen for it. There are people that will tell you that the issues addressed in the Bible need to be handled differently today because we live in a different culture. So one of the famous phrases to be on the lookout for is, well, that's just not the time we live in. Thank you. I understand that we are not wearing the toga of carpus. But that does not mean that we do not need to watch out for the conversations we are involved in that we don't need to look for honoring Christ in every single one of our actions, that there are certain movies that we don't belong in that theater. There are conversations that we need to walk away from. Well, but that's the time we live in. People talk that way. Or, well, we have to go with the culture on this one. It's the only way we can establish ourselves and reach out. These people are saying that how people collectively have begun to live is the standard before God's word is. You want to do apologetics with someone? They're sitting down, they're having a conversation with you for God's existence. Well, you know, or they'll say something to the effect of, well, I believe God exists, but we can have our own thing. We have our own private relationship. Do you know how many times I've heard that? I don't even tell people I'm a pastor or anything like that because I don't want it to 
cause some sort of like reverence or something. Just have a conversation with people, and they're like, well, you know, I don't really go to church. It's not really my thing. God and I, we, we have our own thing. We have our own church. Cool. How's that going for you? Well, a lot of people I know live life that way. Or there are people that just say, well, you know, everybody else is doing this now. You're the only person opposed. No, I'm not. You sit down and have an apologetic conversation with people. The goal every single time we have a conversation is to root out the nonsense. And that doesn't mean you sit there and beat people over the head. It means you go back to the three steps that I've been preaching about now for the past two months. Instinct, reason, and authority. Someone says, well, we ought to do this. You can simply ask them the question, why? Well, because that's the way that everybody doing it. Well, why are they doing it that way? And before you know it, you can be on this huge trail toward leading them to Christ. Because when it comes down to it, when people stand against, against reason, when they are acting on instinct alone, it's because they have abandoned authority. And when we bring them back into that place where they see they are accountable to something outside of themselves, they cannot resist that. Not when the Holy Spirit is tugging on their heartstrings. God help us. When people begin to use culture as the standard instead of God's word. They want to appeal to the Bible as the standard, but too often they find it's in conflict with how they and the rest of culture live. So they say, well, you can't be so dogmatic about what the Bible says. I remember having a conversation with a Christian woman. And she's like, do you spank your kids? I said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we do. You would have thought I was uh, uh, like abusing my children or that I was some sort of uh, tyrant that just uh, sits around looking for different reasons to hit them. Like, well, the Bible says spare the rods, spoil the child. Well, yeah, yeah, of course it does. If you're going to go with that, there are a lot of things you do, like march into Canaan and kill people. I'm like, evil Knievel, how'd you make that leap? My goodness. Can't be so dogmatic about what the Bible says. That's what they say. But I, want to, I just want to tell everyone as, as friends this morning, you know, read God's word because God's commands are great and, uh, and they are not a burden to Christians. They're never meant to be a burden to Christians. They're meant to give us light into how he wants us to live. So we need to feast on God's word, read God's word, and take in his word so we can be ready. Why? Because he gives us a command here. He says, Beloved, you must remember. You must remember that's a calling for you and I, and it's what we must do. That's what the passage tells us. It's what we must do. Point number two. It'll go quick now. Everybody can take a deep breath. It's what we must do. How to prepare for the fight. How do we prepare for the fight that's in front of us? It says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I don't know if anyone's familiar with this scene. Give them watts, boys! But it goes like this. Back in the Revolution, the British troops continued to push the colonists further into Springfield, New Jersey, with five redcoats for every one patriot. Does everyone understand? Five redcoats for every one patriot. We are in trouble. 
The odds seemed overwhelming. However, the Americans continued to present a powerful defense, giving their opponent a demanding fight. Those are the soldiers I want to fight with. Those are the ones I want on my side. That is, until they ran out of wadding or paper to wrap their gunpowder in before placing it in their muskets. Without the wadding, they were virtually unarmed. No paper means no bullets, means no gun, means dead people. As the fight continued, Reverend James Cadwell rallied the soldiers as he rode among the troops. Upon hearing the men yelling for more wadding, Cadwell quickly raced his horse to the church, grabbed a stack of hymn books written by the prominent hymn writer of the time, Isaac Watts. Hurrying back to the fight, Cadwell tossed the hymn books to the soldiers. As the men started ripping out the pages to use as wadding, Cadwell shouted, Give them Watts, boys! Put Watts into them! With a necessary supply of paper, the colonists beat back the Redcoats and won the Battle of Springfield on June 23, 1870. Following the defeat, British General Henry Clinton decided to focus on the South, never entering New Jersey or the North again. However, on their way out of Springfield, the British set fire to the buildings, destroying all but four of them, including the Presbyterian Church Cadwell retrieved the hymnals from. However, the good reverend's words to the soldiers would live on through history, even to this day. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. In order to fight well, we have to be prepared to employ the use of whatever means that God by his providence supplies. Whatever God allows us to use in the battle, whatever tools he gives us, we need to be prepared to use those, just as the hymnals. We need to be ready. But, how does this preparation take place? Let me read those two verses to you just one more time, but you beloved, this is verse 20. Building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. In contrast to those scoffers, you and I as God's beloved are to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. That's our job. So too often we're like Christians that are like standing by or we're just waiting on the Spirit to do something to us. Well, he'll give me strength when he wants me to enter the battle. No. No, 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 no. You and I stand up, we take what God's given us, and we enter into combat. We build ourselves up in the most holy faith. There's nothing in this verse that says God is going to build you up in the most holy faith. Nothing there at all. It says, you, beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. I want everyone to notice two things from this verse. First, build yourselves. All right, so that's something that you need to do to you, right? I need to do to me. And secondly, it's plural. Building yourselves up in the most holy faith. He's writing this to the church. As the church, it's our job to build not only ourselves up, but our neighbors up also in the most holy faith. Sometimes we act as if we just believe enough. God's going to fight every battle for us. And I want to be clear about that. Sometimes, as a matter of fact, most of the time, God does all the fighting. All we do is wait. Most of the time, this is true. You have not been called to fight in those places. God is fighting right now, and you and I don't even see it. 
but often he has called you and I into battle and we have to be engaged in the fight. But in order to be engaged in the fight, we have to be ready to. We have to train. And this is not something God does to us while we just sit by passively. Because Christianity is not passive. So what do we do? Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Often we're too passive in this. So this is this person right here. When I want to take close notice of the workout routine that's happening here. Everyone see how this person's exercising? So this is the person that goes to the gym and reads the paper, and then two months later, like, I, I don't feel anything. I don't know why. My muscles never ache. My body's not changing at all. I don't know why. Things are no different for me, because you didn't touch anything. Your seat touched a seat, and that's it. So we think, like, just going in the presence of weightlifters that we're going to come out and look like them. No, not at all. So day after day, these people head to the gym, they sit on the bench, they never engage themselves in lifting the weights, they see no change in their strength or appearance, and what's amazing here is the fact that they question why. I've been going to the gym twice a week for the past six months, I've seen no difference at all. I know a fellow that wanted to lose some weight. told me, I've been drinking three of these Slim Fasts a day. I've seen no change at all. I said, boy, that's strange. Have you also been eating? Well, yeah, I've been taking them with a meal. You need to read the directions. You need to read the directions. They don't work that way. This is the modern church. We go and we're in the presence of all the resources we need to, to train, but instead we sit by passively. Then troubles come and we aren't ready. We scramble trying to come up with a plan and a pinch. These soldiers that day knew what to do. That commander knew what to give them so that they could fight. It's our job to build ourselves up, to train ourselves up. It means we take part in activities that stir our affections for Christ. We take part in activities that stir our affections for Christ. And what I am not saying in that, what I am not saying in that, is we do things to make us feel warm and gushy inside. Well, I listen to this particular song and it really stirs my affections for Christ. But does it do anything after that? Like, does it stir your affections where you just want to sit there for a moment and, and glory in the moment? Or does it make you want to do something for Christ? Because Christianity is not passive. So you hear a beautiful song and you're touched by it and you're moved by it. And now I want to go out and I want to act. A brother of mine that I've been talking with and having this conversation with and has been denying the faith for so long, I want to sit down with him and I want to tell him how much Christ loves him. Because we've gotten to that point in our relationship now, no holds barred. We're not talking about ooey-gooey feelings. We're talking about something that engages our heart, our soul, our mind, and our, say it, strength. It's our job to build ourselves up. Not only that, take a look at this. We not only build ourselves up, also, praying in the Holy Spirit. I spent more time reading this portion of this passage than any other part. Reason being, there are quite a few commentators out there that believe that what you should do in praying in the Holy Spirit is sit there and meditate and wait for something mystical to happen. 
The only time in the Bible you will ever see anyone waiting on the Holy Spirit was when Christ told them to do it. Christ said, but you wait for the promise of the Father, and they did. And when the promise of the Father came, they stayed in Jerusalem and never left, and you and I are not here now. That didn't happen, amen? They went out and they worked. And they invested their entire lives in this message, and they gave their lives for you and I. Peter was martyred upside down so you can be here today. In a church. Paul was beheaded so you and I could be here today. Does that sound like a passive faith to anyone here? All God's people said no. It's active. So then what is it to pray in the Spirit? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, it is an engaged, connected prayer. Okay? So we are to build ourselves up in the most holy faith, and we are also to pray in the Holy Spirit. So we're not passive in this type of praying, but active. So this is not to pray in the Spirit, but praying in the Spirit. So notice, it's not pray in the Spirit once, it's praying in the Spirit. This is continual and ongoing. So how do we do it? It's prayer that recognizes and depends upon the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us to accomplish God's will and not ours. So it means when we sit down and we pray for God to heal someone, we want His will to be done there. It means when we sit down and we pray for God's will to be done in this nation, that's actually what we want. We are living in that area where the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. He's present. He is helping us and guiding us in our prayer to God and making it effectual. Without the Holy Spirit, our prayers are ineffectual. So let me just say this one more so that it's very clear. It is prayer that recognizes and depends on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Recognize that He's here and depend on His power and not my own to work in us. So that means God's actually going to accomplish something in the life of a believer to work in us and through us so not only are we a vessel that gets poured into, we're a conduit where things can come out of us and go into the world and other people. So it's prayer that recognizes and depends on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us to accomplish God's will and not our own. And what do these things accomplish? They keep us in the love of God. Also a verse that can be misunderstood. Plainly put, it just means this. You and I are called to live in the love of God. That's the place where we reside. We don't reside outside the love of God. In Christ, you reside in the love of God. Your entire life is to be marked by the love of God because that's the realm that you and I are called to live in. There should be a fragrance in the room when we leave of the love of God. That is the life that we are called to live. It's to live in the truth that has been accomplished through Christ's death burial and resurrection for us. It's a physical reality for the believer. Too often we think this like love of God concept is something when we feel ooey gooey it's there and when it's not then it'll be in heaven. That's not it at all. It's a physical reality every single breath you take even when life stinks. The reality for the believer is living life in the love of God. The love of God is a blessing we receive as God's blood-bought children. And it drives us to repentance, we're told, and to deeper communion with Him. 
There's not one person in here that does not want to be closer to God this very moment. The love of God does that. John 4.18 says the love of God drives out fear. The love of God is the reality for the believer to dwell in. It is heaven on earth. Hell will be the place where God is not. It's separation from God. Heaven will be in the reality of living in the love of God. And for the Christian, that's not just eternal, that's now. This moment. So let me tell you, if you're not continually and intentionally living in the love of God, you have no ability to stand in hard times. That's the truth. It has to be a continual reality for you. This continual reality by the means provided for us. How? By building ourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Lastly, Christianity is not passive. You've got to keep going with this. Keep your eye on the victory. Fight with your eye on the victory. We're engaged in battle. We are fighting with our eye on the victory. How is that? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. This life that you and I are living at this moment, no one should be surprised to hear this. It's going to end. The body that you and I have, it's getting tired and it's getting frail in different stages and eventually this life comes to an end. That's the reality for every single person. Should Christ not return tomorrow, that's the reality for every one of us. Anything can happen. Anything. The life to come, the life that is secured by Christ, is delivered by Christ. And it is received by His mercy and by His mercy alone. You've got to have this in sight to fight well. Because you and I have things that we must do. We've already discussed those. And waiting isn't passive either. So we're called here to wait, but we're not called only to wait. And that's where we as Christians slip up. Well, God told me to wait. Yeah, he said wait, but we're supposed to do things while we're waiting. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Go out and fight. And wait. So it's not like we're just sitting by and, and just, well, he's coming back eventually here. We're waiting, yes, because we're keeping our eye on the end. And this drives us further into the war. Because we know that His mercy is coming. We know that He is coming back. We know that His mercy leads us into eternal life, which makes us even more look on the people around us and want to see them there. Waiting isn't passive. We are engaged in the wait. We are doing all that He has called us to do while we wait for His return. And He will judge the quick and the dead. When He will rebuild this world, He will restore all things. And at that point... The things restored will never again be corrupted, ever. They will never again be corrupted. The earth will be remade into an eternal state which will be incorruptible. And you and I, in Christ, will be remade. The prayer meetings are going to be so much different then, amen? I'm not praying for Betty because cancer's gone. Cancer's gone. Disease, sickness, breathing troubles, they're gone. They're gone. And this world you and I live in is important. Because heaven isn't a place we go. It's a place that comes to us. 
this world that you and I live in now is going to be remade into something eternal and something beautiful. So it's important that today you and I are fighting for this world. That we are fighting because the gospel is a mustard seed. It's a mustard seed. And it's spreading. It's spreading until the day when there'll be no more sickness. And can you just imagine for a moment what it's going to be like to not have to say goodbye to someone? It's a reality that we all struggle with. You, you won't have to do it. Because as we're told by the gospel, as we're told in that poem by John Donne, death itself will die and life will be eternal and everlasting. So look around. Take a look at this world. Does everyone see what's happening? Day by day, the new eternity digs its heels in deeper and deeper. Hearts are being changed. Minds are being renewed. The gospel gains ground in spite of the immense persecutions in the East. People right now in China are having Bibles ripped out of their houses and burned. They're being hauled off to prison if they will not renounce their faith. And they're doing it. They're going on. They're continuing with their identity of Christ. And Christians are being woken up to the battle that's before us and we're fighting. So the question I ask you answer in your heart is, will you fight? Will you prepare to go to war? Will you fight for God's kingdom? Because here's the honest truth. It starts with you. It starts with you and me in this place and then your family, and then your friends, and your relationships, and it spreads out. That's how this thing works. It's how it's always worked. And anyone else God brings into your path, there will be opposition, but we can be ready. Training ourselves and finding ground in Christ. We have to be engaged, though. The clutch has to be engaged. And this, this morning, this is the battle plan. This is how we win. We all say together, read with me, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Heavenly Father, with, um, with all this on our minds, with our hearts full of adoration for you, we want to do your will. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done. And Lord, that means a lot of flexibility is needed on our parts in places where we have just decided that... Um, we are going to go about and live life our own way, do the things that we want to do, say the things we want to say. So God, help us to just cast those things away. Help us to focus on your word. Help us to focus on the eternal state that you have called us to. And help us to focus on this joy that you give us day by day so that we can prepare. Help us to build ourselves up. Help us to get strong. Help us to be ready for the fight that is in front of us. And Lord, help us to gather together as a body to love one another in unity and in strength and provide by your spirit.